Welcome to the men's global live stream. If you have a Bible, I want you to hold two spots, one in Matthew 5 and one in Matthew 18. We are in the final session of a series called You Are Here. And the premise was really simple. The big idea is this, God has purposed you, God has placed you right where you are. At any given moment, to execute his plans and to exert his influence. And the question is not, am I a man of influence? The question is, what kind of influence am I having? And I want you to listen as we start this final session to a quote by a guy named Thomas Chalmers, Scottish pastor, lived in the 1800s. And he was dialing in this concept that God has purposed a man, God has placed a man to execute his plans and exert God's influence wherever he is. Listen to this quote by Thomas Chalmers. He says this, every man is a missionary now and forever, for good or for evil, whether he intends or designs it or not, he may be a blot radiating his dark influence outward to the very circumference of society, or he may be a blessing spreading benediction over the length and breadth of the world, but a blank he cannot be. There are no moral blanks. There are no neutral characters. We are either the sower that sows and corrupts or the light that splendidly illuminates and the salt that silently operates, but being dead or alive, every man speaks. What an awesome, summary of, of this series. And I love the statement where he says, but a blank he cannot be. There are no moral blanks. There are no neutral characters. So Chalmers makes the point uh, that I made a little bit earlier. The question's not, am I a man of influence? The question is, what kind of influence am I having? Because you're a moral being, uh, you enter into relationships with people and your insides come outside and they exert an influence, whether it's influenced by neglect or influenced by intention. And the question is, what is the nature of your personal influence? Because there are no neutral characters, there are no moral blanks. And so I love that observation. When a man enters into any environment, he leaks, so to speak, his character into that environment and onto the people. And you might think about it this way. There are certain people in your life, I have a few, when they get into the mix, into any situation, into any room, or they just come into your presence, uh, things change the second they appear. It might be a brother, a sister, a coworker, an aunt, or an uncle, and you would say about them, man, they light up the room, or man, they bring life uh, to the party or to the environment. I have a friend like that, he's one of my best friends, his name's Greg, and man, when Greg comes into any environment, you can count on two things, all right? First, energy, all right? Greg is a large person, He's six feet four and he's a large dude and he just, man, he, he, when he greets you, let's put it this way, he, hear, he hears you, you hear him. He says, hey, what's up? And so you can count on energy, but then you know what you can count on? Secondly, 
encouragement. And man, in a time when encouragement is is hard to be found, man, Greg, when he comes in, he's when he's in the mix, it it changes things. Now things get better when Greg is in the environment, but it's not exclusive to Greg. Actually, the Bible reveals that when we enter into the mix of any situation, any relationship, any family system, any work ecosystem, any church ecosystem, any interaction where there's people, things are supposed to get better in the mix, right? God, through the Bible, has told us specifically, and we're going to look at it today, that he strategically places us into relationships and into situations to make them better, to influence them, and the result is that we glorify God because of that influence, right? When God's, let's put it this way, when God's cooking up a good plan, he goes to his, his, his spices and his influences and he opens the drawer of his sons and he goes, you know what? I'm going to sprinkle a little of him in there. I'm going to sprinkle a little him in there where we become kind of that dominant ingredient when he's cooking up a plan in the lives of those around us. All right. So how can I make this situation, this relationship that I'm in, this neighborhood, this moment, this, this work? team that I'm on. How can I influence it? God's asking, oh, I'm going to sprinkle God's men into that situation. And guess what? Just like a cook sprinkles something, something into something bland, something bland gets better. All right. Something that's flavorless gets flavorful. All right. And something goes from dormant to active for God's glory. Listen, right where you are. See, that's the good news. We really don't have to work at placing ourselves into certain situations. As you're living your life, as you're interacting with people, as you're going into different environments, social environments, work environments, your kids' activities, school environments, you know, friend environments, social environments, church environments, wherever you're going, you carry with you this idea that I'm a person of influence and God wants to use me to influence others. So we're going to start, if you have the downloaded notes, uh, with a passage from Matthew chapter 5. And I want you to listen closely to Jesus talk about you. Listen to what he says. Let me tell you why you are here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness. You, you've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. 
that is one of the best statements about us as God's man, our purpose, God's intention, God's character. And I want to just unpack a couple of things from that, that wonderful summary of our capacity and ability to influence. Number one, it's a statement of identity. I mean, whatever Bible you're looking at, you know, the message is, hey, you're salt, or you're light. It's, it's an identity statement. And when, when there's an identity statement that's made in the Bible, listen to me, it's a way to be, a way to believe, and a way to behave. Okay, let's say that together, all right? Right where you are, no matter where you are. Say, a way to be, a way to believe, and a way to behave. Um, any identity that we attach ourselves to, there's a way to be, be, and behave. It's our self-perception, right? It's our identity, and whatever commands your identity, right? And this is the second point, uh, commands your energy. So Jesus has a statement of identity, and then there's a statement about energy, right? Light uh, is energy, all right? Salt projects uh, influence, salt uh, preserves, salt protects, salt seasons, salt purifies um, on contact, all right? So there's all of that texture to being called salt, all right? Preserve, protect, season, purify, prevent decay in Jesus's time, all right? Think about that culturally. I'm in the mix to preserve situations. I'm here to protect people. I'm here to season and influence for Christ. I'm here to purify things, make them better, make them, make them more holy on contact. Salt influences by contact. Let's say that together. Salt influences by contact, all right? You are salt right where you are. So who's in contact with you? Just let the paint dry on that. Who's in contact with you right now, today, later on, on your, on, on, on your, on your calendar, when you go through the door at home? Who's in contact with you? But then the Bible says, too, Jesus says, you are light, all right? Ident statement of identity, st statement about energy. Write this down, number three, statement about expression, all right? What does light do? Light creates visibility in the passage it says, you're here to be light, bringing out the God colors uh, in the world. So it's about visibility, all right? So someone, so you can see someone, and, and God wants to be seen, and guess what? God wants to be seen through you, all right? And he wants other things to be seen. He wants his character to be seen. He wants his love to be seen. He wants his justice to be seen. So Jesus says, guess what? I want you visible. I want you public. I want you visible. I want you in contact. And that's for every man of God listening to this uh, session. That's who you are. You are salt and you are light. Now, now, why is identity and energy and expression important? Write down this last observation. God's man is a change agent. All right, salt is a change agent. It's a game changer, right? Again, things go from, from bland to better, from flavorless to flavorful. 
it morphs things, it protects things, it purifies things, it seasons things, it prevents decay. Light, in the same way, changes the environment, all right? Just imagine yourself in a dark environment, all right? A dark culture, all right? Against that dark backdrop, what can you see the best? Light, all right? You see light best against the dark. And today, man of God, you have the best possible chance to shine. Just turn on the news, all right? Take a look outside, see what's going on. Plenty of opportunities against the dark backdrop and darkness of the world to shine the light of Christ by contrast, right? Now, identity, energy, expression, change agent. Let's summarize that. When you know who you are, salt and light, you know what to do, influence. Salt and light influence wherever they are. So there, there is God's mind on our influence, right? Right where you are. Again, we don't have to work hard to get into situations because most of us have a lot of contact with people. We're in a family environment, we're in a work environment, we're in social environments, we're in team environments, we're in university environments, we're in high school environments. Whatever environment you find yourself in, be who you are. Be salt and be light. Now, God expects visibility, light. God expects influence, salt, but he doesn't force us, all right? We have to choose to be used, all right? And that comes from our own experience with God himself, our own experience with, with his influence on us, his actions toward us. So God influences us with his generosity and his influence in our lives. And guess what? We, that transforms us and we become influencers. Not in the social media sense, but in the, in the interpersonal, small, unpublic spaces where we're interacting with people. And so I wanna talk next about, well, what, what is that experience with God that leads to us choosing to be salt and to be light. And so we have three sections. I want you to turn in your Bible, if you have it, to Matthew 18. If you don't have your Bible, no sweat. We're gonna put the verses on the screen. But let's look at the first section of Matthew 18, 23 to 27. And I, I'm calling this the setup. And it starts with the phrase, the kingdom of God is like, and, and then I'll, we'll, we'll unpack that. So let me read the passage and then we'll unpack it. Jesus says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. And at this moment, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Listen, the servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. So let's just make a couple summary observations, okay? The king in this parable is God. The servant is us. The situation is lopsided, not good. And God's compassion intervenes, okay? 
That's just, let's get a lay of the land. But I want you to notice where it says the kingdom of heaven is like. Now, what is Jesus now entering into as he then explains the situation with the king, the servant, and the situation? Him, us, and our lopsided relationship with him. He's saying the kingdom of heaven is like, this is how it works, this is the rhythm, this is how it looks, this is how it operates. These are the forces at work when you're connected to the kingdom of heaven, right? There's a king, God, there's servants, us, and there is this unique experience and encounter between the king and the servant that's intended to change everything. So let's now just unpack what we just read, couple observations, a few observations, all right? Number one, we see overwhelming burdens. This situation of the servant, AKA us, we are overwhelmed by it. It's insurmountable. Um, it's heavy. It weighs on our spirit and it puts us in jeopardy of losing everything. That's the first observation. Second observation, there's a pivotal moment, all right, where the servant in in a, in a seemingly transparent moment of vulnerability, just cries out and asks for patience and makes a promise. It's sort of like one of those foxhole promises. I'm overwhelmed, it's insurmountable, but can, I, can you be patient with me and I promise I'll, I'll pay everything back. And then there's three, unexpected generosity. The king had every right to exact what he had lent to the servant. The servant had a debt he could not owe. I mean, he could not repay. And the king unexpectedly, I'm sure on the part of the servant, is just super generous in this situation. So the, 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 the moment changes. It goes from, from anxiety to peace. Imagine if you're that servant. It goes from oppression and being under this burden to that burden being lifted and relief. It goes from an uncertain future to total assurance because the king has authority to make this happen. And so it's, it's just an amazing encounter. Again, God is the king, the servant is us. The situation is lopsided, not in our favor. God intervenes and is generous and brings peace and relief and assurance, okay? Now, let's continue the story. Jesus goes on to teach uh, this story, this parable, and, and he intentionally tracks the response of the servant to the encounter and the experience with the king and how it translates into his personal life after that moment, okay? How is the servant gonna respond to others in his life where he's at, okay? So the story goes on, Matthew 18, 28 to 30. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 silver coins. He grabbed him, began to choke him, 
Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him. Be patient with me, and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Wow. So you've got this encounter and experience with the king. The servant is, is made to feel at peace now. He's given relief. He's given assurance. And so the servant leaves that encounter and experience, goes into his own context, his own personal life, his own relationships, responsibilities, and let's just say receivables. Someone owes him money. And let's just summarize what this guy does, all right, as he goes back into his environment. Number one, write this down, he's unwilling to reflect on what just happened. You know, there's a relationship between reflecting and remembering, but we gotta pause. There was never, uh, okay, wow, wow, wow. What just happened right there? It's sort of like, he just, okay, that's great, moving on. And he's forgotten the magnitude of what has just happened, right? It's the equivalent of a million dollar debt. This guy's never gonna pay it back, and that gets canceled because of a man's generosity, and it brings him peace, assurance, and relief. Didn't even think about it, all right? Secondly, we see he's unwilling to reproduce what he received, and it's kind of like a domino effect. If you, if you don't reflect on what happened, massive forgiveness of debt, massive generosity, if you don't reflect on that, then you're not gonna reproduce what he received. This is one of the reasons why Jesus instituted communion. And he sat down with his guys. And he said, this is my body, this is my blood. And you get new life. And my body's gonna be broken. I'm gonna volunteer to do it. My blood's gonna be shed, I'm gonna volunteer to shed it, and I'm gonna be generous with mercy toward you by sacrificing my own life. That's the price I'm gonna pay for you. You owe a debt you could not pay, and I paid a debt you did not owe. And that's why we have communion, that's why we reflect so that we can remember. But this guy, he didn't reflect, so he can't reproduce in his own context what he's received. And then third, he's unwilling to redefine his own relationships, and that's just a consequence of the first two. I don't reflect on my encounter and my experience with God's mercy and generosity, therefore I don't reproduce what, he, what I've received, and now I'm, I'm unwilling really to redefine my own relationships, okay? So just to summarize uh, the servant's response in his own where he is, where he is, he's here. He, he has this experience and he goes back into his life spaces after this encounter and he's insensitive, he's inconsistent, he's irresponsible, he's ungrateful, and he's unrepentant. 
Nothing on his insides have changed. So that's the receiver's response. The person who receives massive mercy, forgiveness, and generosity, this is the receiver's response. Man, imagine you're listening to this story and you're like, I know, like we're thinking if, if that happened in real life and in our time, if man, we would just be going, wow, that guy should, shouldn't act like that, right? Um, but then uh, there is a third part to the story and we're gonna read about that in Matthew 18, 31 to 34. And I'm calling that the receiver's reckoning, okay? So here's the servant, the king, that experience. The servant goes back to where he is, where he lives with the people in his life, right? And he doesn't respond the right way. And then the story goes on in Matthew 18, beginning in verse 31, it says this. When the other servants saw what happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant? just as I had on you. In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Quote, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Wow, those are some tough words and tough consequences, all right? But it's coming from the heart of the master, God, in this case, Jesus, the king, we're the servants. And Jesus is teaching us a lesson by contrast. He's, he's making us study the loss of this servant who responded. He's making us study his mistake. And he's, he's wanting us to glean the opposite, right? And so we're studying this and we're going, wow, that's servant. Whew. But you know what? He's holding up a mirror. And he's saying, you know what? What's your encounter with me? What's your experience with me? You know, I, I canceled out the massive debt caused by your sin and the, and the magnitude of that. Have you internalized the magnitude of what I've done for you? And if you have, here's what not to do. Here's the lesson by contrast. Don't go into your contexts where you are and not reproduce what you've received. In fact, let's draw some really clear lessons from Jesus uh, based on this last passage, verses 31 to 34, all right? So lesson number one, write this down. What I experience with God becomes my life in God. That's the lesson in the parable of the debtor. Encounter and experience with the king. Servant has massive debt forgiveness. Experiences generosity and mercy, all right? What that experience with generosity and mercy now becomes his life, or it's supposed to. By contrast, we're saying, yes, we don't want to be like the servant in the story. Number two, what I receive from God is what I reproduce in relationships. Can I ask you a question? What have you received from God? Received love? 
received grace, received mercy, received fellowship, received peace, received joy, received kindness. I could go on forever. I've received so many blessings from God. And God's intention for those experiences with his blessings and with his person and with his gifts, what I receive from God is what I reproduce. God's calling me to reproduce that same experience with the people that he brings me in contact with. Number three, what is modeled by God is meant for God's man. So the king models generosity. He's upset with the servant who doesn't reproduce and, and that, that same generosity. He models mercy. The servant doesn't express mercy. Um, the, the, the king releases someone from a burden. He replaces anxiety with peace. He gives assurance and hope. The servant does not do any of those things and is chastised. And there are consequences to not receiving as your own purpose what God models for us. What God models for us is, is meant for us. And so, you know, you kind of move now into this, okay, where am I in relationships? How am I reproducing my encounter and my experience with Jesus where I am? Is my experience with God, my life in God, is what I receive from God being reproduced in my relationships or am I just a taker and not a reproducer? Is what I see God modeling for me in the person of Christ in real time? Because in this parable, I mean, Jesus, Jesus actually lives out this parable and cancels our debt by paying a horrible price and suffering a horrible loss of his own blood and dignity so that we can live. So let's turn the corner and let's, let's, let's see how we can kind of live out our identity, be salt, be light, let our experience with God become our life in God and reproduce what we've received, all right? And I have as the headline, wear your identity proudly. All right, right where you are. And you'll get, you'll get the context of that headline when I read this passage from Colossians chapter three, verses 14 to 16. It says this, so chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline, be even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offense. Forgive as quickly and completely as the master forgave you. And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic all-purpose garment. Never be without it. I love the language, the picture. It's a picture of putting on clothes, having a wardrobe, and there is a transition, there's a shift of identity where before 
Uh, we weren't a part of God's family, but then we were chosen by God for this new life. And we crossed the line and we trusted in the person and work of Christ. We became one of God's children. And when you become one of God's children, guess what? You get a new wardrobe. And it's a wardrobe of character, right? That we put on, all right? We put off our old wardrobe of insensitivity and inconsistency and harshness and selfishness and self-protection and self-preservation and self-indulgent. And guess what? We got a whole new closet of character. Through Christ's power being inside of us, through the indwelling Holy Spirit, and all of a sudden, we're wearing in our context, right where we are, more compassion. We're putting on compassion, right? We're putting on kindness, humility, right? Quiet strength, not boasting strength. Disciplined, we're consistent, we're consistent, all right? We don't go off the rails in, in anger, right? We're content. We don't have to be first in everything. We stop competing and we start connecting. Get this. We're quick to say, I forgive you. We don't hang on to, um, we don't hang on to bitterness or resentment. Um, and we let, we release people from that burden because we've been released from that burden. And it's quick and it's complete, right? And we wear love, you know? And love in the Bible is not loving when it's convenient or loving when it's comfortable, it's sacrificial love. Wear love, like Jesus' kind of love. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You give up something of yourself for the sake of another person. That's biblical love. That's spirit-filled love, where you say no to yourself and you say yes to God by saying yes to giving up something from yourself for another person. So this scripture from Colossians, you know, it, it, it reflects on our encounter with Jesus, and the expectation, listen, the expectation of a new expression, okay? And that's really, the proof is in the pudding. God expects us to be salt, God expects us to be light, God expects us to exert our influence and glorify Him so that people can see us and people can feel us and bring out the God flavor and the God colors. So through us, what a privilege. He's not gonna make us do it. We choose to do it because we've had this transforming encounter with God's mercy and generosity. So right on, I'm gonna act different because I've experienced mercy and generosity from God. So I am gonna be, I'm gonna choose to be salt by contact and I'm gonna, be choo I'm gonna choose to be light by contrast wherever I am, right where I am. Finally, we're going to look at this passage from Romans 13. It just, it just kind of summarizes what we've been talked about, talking about in terms of the driving force behind us being salt and light right where we are. Listen to what it says. Don't run up debts except for the huge debt of love you owe each other. When you love others, you complete what the law has been after all along. You know, this is, this is the difference uh, between performing for God's love and responding to God's love. Our actions for Christ come from being loved 
by Christ, not having to earn or perform for his love. We're already loved, we're already chosen, we're already forgiven. And because that experience is so, is so overwhelming and our burdens were so lifted, right? We now are motivated, we want to, we don't have to, but we want to give some of the love that God has given us away to other people. We're gonna give some of the forgiveness a lot of forgiveness away to people who have harmed or hurt us. We're gonna be generous. Because God has been generous with us, we're gonna be generous. Sometimes overwhelmingly with people in our lives where it's gonna be like unexpected and shocking, just like the king and the servant in that encounter was unexpected and shocking, what the king did. You know, this world, so needs an encounter with spirit-filled men of God who are salt and light and who are generous, where all people who matter to God matter to us. Simple, unmet needs around me are getting met because my needs have been met by God. My peace needs have been met by God. My assurance needs have been met by God. My relief has been met by God. I'm generous with my time. I'm generous with my resources. Why? Because God took time to leave a perfect environment to come to a messy planet and get in my mess and relieve me of anxiety about my future. Wow. You know, in spirit-filled men who right where they are, are being salt and light, you know what happens? The lonely find a new friend. The burden find a lone lifter. The lost have a direction giver. The vulnerable have a protector. The helpless have a helper. Unloved people are loved. And into the darkness comes a man full of light, right? The world is waiting, man of God, for you. The world is waiting for us as a community. And that's what we're committed to here at Everyman. We are pouring gas on this movement of dangerous good men who get it. They understand that they're supposed to be salt by contact, light by contrast in every space where they are on planet Earth. That's why we did this series. You are here, why? To be salt and to be light. To preserve, protect, purify, season, influence, and make God visible and help people taste what God is like through your life. What a privilege. God doesn't need us, but God's letting us participate in this hour, in this time of history. And man, the world out there might be dark. The world <laughs> might not have a lot of good news going on, but into this moment in time, men, we're called to be salt and light right where we are. So let's bow our heads, put down your pencils. And I wanna give you a moment with God right now. And we're just gonna to reflect together as a community of men around the world about our calling. Father, thank you that you tell us who we are and you're specific. And it's meaningful, God, because we understand what salt is. A lot of us put it on stuff, makes everything better. 
And even in your time, Jesus, salt had the same effect, but salt had a lot of other effects. It prevented rot and decay. Lord, I know that you want to use sons of the king worldwide to stop the rot caused by evil and to, and to turn the tide and to bring your love and justice and to replace injustice and evil with that love and justice. God, you've called us to be light. You want us visible, that's your expectation. So God, help us to think right about our identity and our energy and our expression and our purpose. Lord, you have ordained every man listening to this, this, this live stream to be a change agent. You're declaring that over us. You're a change agent. Receive that from God right now. God is saying you are a change agent right where you are in the relationships that you have. I want you to be an influence for me, motivated by your encounter with me, an encounter of great generosity and great mercy that's supposed to go into the rest of the areas of your life carried by you, that experience carried by you into wherever you are to bring that same amazing grace and mercy and love to everybody that you come in contact with. So Holy Spirit, make real our identities as salt and light. Help us to influence by being generous with love and mercy. Whatever needs are unmet, whoever's lonely, whoever's burdened, whoever's lost, whoever's helpless, God, help us to be like you and help us to intervene in your power and in your name. In Jesus' name we pray, and God's men said amen and amen. Hey, let us know what's going on in your church or your men's group, what your needs are. The Everyman team is here to, to help you be salt and light as an individual, as a men's group, as a men's community in a church. And we need to do that because the world is waiting. We'll see you next week.